Welcome to the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jono White. I'm the founder and principal consultant of Clarity. We are an Australian-based consultancy that works with leaders around the world, and our passion is to invest in people to become everything they're meant to be in order to fill the world with healthy organizations that people love to work for and customers line up to buy from. The goal of this podcast is to invest in you and your leadership. If you're just joining us for the first time, then feel free to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there. The most popular being our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from around the world in all different sectors give their in-depth answers on leadership, what books they love, what they found most challenging, uh, the most meaningful stories, how they how they structure their time through the day. That's free, so go and check it out. And we'd love to interview you about your leadership. I believe you have advice from your experience, your context, and your life so far that is important and can help other leaders. It's also a great way to give back. It's free to get involved, and you can do so by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest, or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form that pops up. We have a free resource for you on our website. It's called Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook. It has interviews with 10 world-class leaders, and you can go to consultclarity.org. It's right at the top and get that today. Uh, we also have a daily email that we send out to over 15,000 leaders, and that email contains the highlights, our best content from our podcasts, our blog, uh, my book, uh, the books that we're loving that are out there about leadership, it's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers. And you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. Now, my gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. If you, if you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. It really does help us to get the word out there so we can invest in more leaders to become everything they're meant to be. It also means a lot to me personally when people like you and people in our community share our content on social media. So if you do that, then please do look for me, Jono White, to tag me and look to tag Clarity uh, on whatever platform you're on. And our team, including me, I'm always looking to see when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if you if you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out John O'White or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I 
have coached leader after leader after leader, and in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult, and, and I just want to find a way that doesn't blow up to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better. How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Today's guest is Robbie Allen. Robbie is the CEO of OneGI, and we're going to hear a little bit about, uh, uh, in a moment, about what he does as CEO and also a little bit about OneGI. And then more importantly, and most importantly for the podcast, we're going to get to know Robbie's story a bit, which I'm really excited about. So welcome to the podcast, Robbie. Thank you. I'm glad to be here, John. Um, nice to, to join you down under. Yeah, yeah. I I always uh, enjoy chatting with people on the other side of the world. It's so good. That's one of the best things about technology these days is that we can just easily set up a, a chat that uh, that wasn't possible many you know until only quite recently. Um, so first of all, tell us a bit about One GI and a little bit about what you do as CEO. Absolutely, One GI is a U.S. based um, MSO Management Services Organization for gastroenterology. So it's a, it's a physician services organization that covers much of the United States. It's private equity backed. It's backed by a, a large private equity fund out of Boston called Webster Equities. So, and, and at the end of the day, um, you know, a, a roughly a billion dollar valuation company that's providing services throughout the United States for things like colonoscopies, nutritional services and things like that that you would normally go to see your gastroenterology provider for. Yeah, um, incredible. Great to get a bit of a summary. And I'm sure we'll get to know a little bit more about you and your role um, as we chat. But let's dive straight into your story. Uh, starting off, I'd love to ask you about, you know, your childhood growing up. What were some of the moments or even themes from that time in your life that really uh, as you reflect, they shaped you into the person and the leader you are today. Goodness, that's um, there's a lot. Uh, I love the question. I think uh, for everybody, it's your childhood that forms the way that you react to stress. I grew up as the son of a military officer. He was a, a pilot with the United States Navy. And so I got to move every year to 18 months of my childhood until I was in middle school. So year seven, six uh, in the United States system. Um, quite a strict upbringing, uh, the very typical military, yes sir, no sir, yes ma'am, no ma'am, um, squared corners on your bed, uh, things like that, that really shaped how I saw the world, how I made friends. Um, it's quite something to change, not just schools, but cities uh, every couple of years as a young child. You learn to make friends, you learn to navigate relationships and negotiate in a way that probably those, including my own children now who've never moved um, across the span of their life, they've been in one location. So, 
those were probably the largest things that formed um, on a on a more personal scale. Mm. Um, much like many of your listeners, I we had a high conflict house. Um, I would not say that the primary relationship between my parents was always a happy one, and so sure. I learned how to uh, negotiate for my sister and I uh, the day to day activities of. Uh, navigating the conflict of the adults around us. So, yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much for sharing that. I, I, um, I agree. And that's why I like to start with that question that um, for better or worse, all of us are uh, <laughs> at different times going, thank goodness for that part of my upbringing. And depending on, uh, you know, some people, obviously it's, um, it, can, it can be really tragic. Other people, it's, it, they go, well, actually, it sort of couldn't have been any better and everything in between. But what doesn't change is that we all <laughs> end up, I don't know if you found this, but I certainly have, you run into things as a leader and you go, oh, you find out, oh, okay, yeah, that's not just how I deal with that one situation. There's something actually about, um, you know, uh, me when I, when I was only little that worked then to deal with life, but that doesn't work when you're leading people. Um, and so it's it's always relevant. I, I want to ask you about your first leadership opportunities. You know, maybe it was when you were very little. Maybe it was uh, when when you were in your twenties or older. As you think back, do you remember the first time you had, or, or the first moments? Um, you know, there might be a couple of different things that come to mind where you were casting vision for something. You were managing people. You were uh, running with a project and really leading something. What, what comes to mind, Robbie? That's <laughs> a a great question i think um just from a a pure leadership standpoint i went to a very um classically strict religious school through years seven eight and nine of uh, school and the first real example of leadership that i remember having was authoring a new constitution with a group of students that ended up being about half the school requesting and and in fact almost demanding some changes to the rule structure of the school we we authored and we we based it on the united states constitution and declaration of independence and we we certainly felt like we were very important and smart but getting people to kind of follow along um was probably the first time I remember thinking, okay, people are listening to what I'm doing and they're coming along, which it meant to me that I had some responsibility to honor those people who were coming along with me and doing it right, not leading us in the wrong direction. So I think it it was the early formation of my personal belief and sort of a certain leadership structure. Yeah. How did that go down? That's that's an amazing um, and fascinating thing to to be doing, at proposing as students a different constitution based on the US <laughs> constitution. That's really, really, really interesting. How, how, uh, just out of interest, um, how did that go down? What, what happened from after you sort of presented it to the school? <laughs> well, unfortunately, our, our Declaration of Independence as uh, 12 to 14-year-old students didn't go as well. Well, maybe uh, maybe the comparison is apropos. Uh, it it created a bit of internal strife in the school. Um, 
I think at the end of the day, what happened was we were recognized for using our brain and for engaging in appropriate discourse. Um, I think our parents were fairly impressed with what we had done. I think the school ended up being less impressed, which at the time felt like a complete failure. As I look back on it, it taught all of us uh, a host of lessons. Um, most importantly, how to how to frame your <laughs> empathy and view, you know, into the, into both sides of an issue, which is really yeah. critical for leadership. So yeah. <laughs> I mean, you don't get many more challenging stakeholders than uh, the school that you're attending in authority over you to bring a declaration of independence. It's, um, it's, yeah, I think that's fantastic. I, I, <laughs> I, I think what a, uh, what an awesome initiative. And um, yeah, if only, if only more schools, I think the schools that I really love and because I work with a lot of schools and, and I just have so much admiration for those schools that can really those school leaders who can embrace that kind of thinking by the students and by parents in the community, it's not easy, but I think um, when they do, yeah, cause I, I just think that's such a cool story and, and what a, um, what an amazing bunch of uh, students and an initiative. Um, as you got older from there, when was your first uh, sort of moment in leadership where things went up a notch, you know, where you felt like, Ooh, okay. Um, I'm, I'm out of my depth or wow. Okay. This is what it means to really lead a team. Or do you remember that sort of next step up or breaking through that next ceiling for you? Yeah, certainly. Um, I, you know, to kind of jump out of the school realm, um, I was the captain of a couple of different sports teams, but nothing really significantly different than what I just mentioned. I started a company when I was in college, um, early in college. And it grew fairly rapidly. It was an early technology company in healthcare that dealt in the telehealth space when there were still dial-up modems. And as a college sophomore and junior, I was fairly quickly running a team of 20 to 40, depending on what aspect of time it was with millions of dollars in revenue as a college student, still actively going to college. And I was just wow. acutely aware that my name was on leases. My name was on loans. I was signing paychecks. It, it really, if I thought about it, was an odd mixture of fear, anxiety, excitement, and challenge. That's incredible. What, what were your main what were the main lessons you learned through that time, which I can imagine you would have been building the plane as you were flying it sort of, um, uh, which I feel like every leader has that in different stages, right? You always think you're ready and then you move to the next stage and you go, okay, I have a bunch of theories, but now it's kind of like, now it's on and I really need to work out how to operate at this level. Um, but, but what were your biggest learnings from that time when you were, suddenly leading 20 or 40 people, you've got your name on leases and loans, you're, you're a college student at the same time. What did you learn? I think the, the hardest lessons during that period of time and the ones that I, it took a few times, unfortunately for me to learn were humility, um, being able to own when I didn't know the answers and learning how to empower the people that were working with me and see them as compliments to things I didn't do well. I think that 
for a lot of entrepreneurs and young leaders, that's one of the harder aspects of leadership. And, and we have examples of people who are exceptionally talented, mm. technical people in the world. Think Elon Musk, exceptionally talented technically, not terribly gifted as a leader of individual people around him. And so those are different skills. It does, I'm not in any way knocking his ability to create value, but when we think about these types of people, um, those lessons of moving a group of people and inspiring them to, to be more together than we could each be and sort of the sum of our parts requires a certain amount of humility that not many 20 to 22-year-old yeah. engineering students possessed, <laughs> and I certainly did not. <laughs> yeah, I, I know what you mean. It's, um, it's uh, and I think it's why it's so remarkable if you do see someone leading something really successfully, you know, managing people really successfully in their 20s. I'm always awestruck because I think it's, um, you know, the majority, the vast majority um, of us learn so many of those things as we get as we get a bit older. Um, and, and I think it's, yeah, and I think that's one of the challenges for those who might be listening who who are maybe, you know, 20 to 22 is that the hard thing I think about myself at that age is that it's a bit of a it can be a bit of a blind spot. So it's easy to see in hindsight. But at the time, it's just it, it's it's a bit of a it can be a bit of a blind spot that you just you're not aware of when you're that age. Completely agree. I think it's I, it, the, the younger folks I mentor all the time. That is where I spend a great deal of time. It's just the, the power involved with saying, I'm not really sure I know the answer to that question. I, I feel like you have some really good ideas on it. Why don't you take this one and see where you can go with it is enormous. Um, it's just, it, it's an incredibly empowering thing to say, but it's also very counterintuitive for most 20 year olds. <laughs> how, how have you learned to do that? And what does it look like for you now in your current sort of sphere to lead with that sort of approach um, as you're, you know, leading an organization with, with such a large, um, uh, you know, footprint and, uh, and valuation like, like 1GI? What does it look like to actually lead like that? How do you do it? You know, and with respect to learning it, it's hard to overstate the value of having been humbled, having your knees knocked out of you, um, and, and kind of the learning experience that comes with that. And like all good entrepreneurial stories, we had hired bankruptcy attorneys at two different times. And so I think uh, we navigated those successfully, but just being humbled and stepping back for a minute and having strong mentors pull you aside enough to say, why don't we talk about that? Let's let's see what you learn. Builds that em that empathy skill, um, sort of the relatability and kindness that that are fundamentally necessary to lead people. I think it's I I try to live hard by one principle, particularly when it comes to being an executive in larger companies. Is when you're given the choice to be right or be kind, be kind. You're never going to be wrong. And when you, when you frame it that way, obviously, particularly as a CEO, as a leader, you're rarely the technical talent. You have a team of technical talent. Nobody comes to me to, to build out a financial model, to go and do a colonoscopy 
what they come to me for is sort of direction, guidance, a problem. And that doesn't require anything more than listening and responding and being kind and aware. And so I, I think we I think we default towards our technical expertise, but leadership really isn't about that, in my opinion. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree more. I think this is one of the reasons why coaching is such an important skill for leaders to learn. And, and some leaders go, wait, wait a second, why do I, like, why should I learn how to, how to, you know, coach my people? They kind of just get coaches in for them. And as someone who comes in and does coaching for people, I, I'm like, well, the answer is both. Yes, people, it's great for them to have coaches, but so much of leadership is coaching. And that's the biggest reason I love uh, say helping leaders create a culture of coaching in an organization, because what you're really doing is you're creating a culture of listening. You're creating a culture of stopping and, and actually creating some handles for, for all of us, but particularly for your senior leadership team um, and your CEO to create those handles to go, you know what, I'm not going to jump in and fix this. I'm going to be a sounding board. I'm going to listen really well. I'm going to ask great questions. And then 10% of the time when that doesn't do it, and, and this is what I say to people who maybe haven't done any sort of coaching before is, um, I would love to say that when I coach people, it's because of how great Jono's ideas are. But, um, you know, and to be honest, there's times where I've gone into it thinking that I was going to be, oh, it's going to be so, I'm going to give such great advice here. But honestly, 90% of the time, <laughs> it's people's own revelations they have. It's their own information they brought. It's the clarification of their own ideas that is what's most helpful for them. 10% of the time, I'll add something that might be helpful. But 90% of the time, it's just having that time and that space where someone's listening intently and actively to you and asking great questions. That's what gets, um, that's what I find people actually find most helpful. And that's why leaders, if you can learn to do that, that's why I just noticed some of the words you said there about being like with kindness, listening intently with kindness. Don't worry about being right. Be kind. I love that. And, and that reminded me of why coaching is such a great skill for leaders to learn. Oh, I completely agree. I think, I think if you're not, look, I think there are, there's a scale of company where, you know, the leader, particularly as an entrepreneur and founder, sleeves up, um, pants rolled up, you're just knee deep in the mud all day long. It's hard to do that. But once you've exited that phase, I think it is the single most important skill set you can develop as a leader. It, it becomes your primary job is removing obstacles, coaching people through. It really doesn't matter if, if I know the answer as a leader. It matters that the team can get there on their own. Otherwise, we have a, a gatekeeping problem with the leader that is kind of the full stop problem. And if anything happens to that person, then you have a major problem with the company. And that, yeah. that is not doing your job well, <laughs> in my opinion. And that's the, uh, that's what makes it so hard. I think it is why I love uh, Patrick Lencioni's most recent book um, or well, he's got working on one right now. Um, but uh, his most recent one that he'd released called the motive is all about uh, really leaders being motivated by the right reasons. And um, that might sound a bit fluffy and a bit abstract, but the problem is that if I'm motivated by any sort of ego to step into a leadership role, um, which can be sorted out, like you said, hey, get humbled, get, get your knees taken out from under you and you go or get taken out of the knees and you go, okay, that's one way to get rid of ego. But if you manage to find yourself in, in quite a senior role 
and you're still uh there's a lot of ego there i think that's you're suddenly it's it's a very big disadvantage because it's so hard to help other people to get yourself out of the way to help other people to to find the answers and be successful it that that's the like the opposite of ego and i think that's why that's why you know any young leaders or any leaders who are who are really wanting to be in that sort of ceo role is is if you can grow in letting go of your ego and actually get it getting rid of that and grow in what it means to really empower people and lead with empathy i think that's why they're so they're so powerful that's definitely what i've seen is in my experience is that if there's ego there it, it's the opposite of everything you just described which is needing to get out of the way and help your people really deliver i completely agree i think ego is is almost always the enemy of effective yeah. leadership. Everybody has an ego, but you, the ability to maintain some emotional sobriety around it is really what drives effective leaders. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I'm interested in some of the mentors along the way. I know there would be a lot of mentors um, who you would have had along the way, great leaders who you've worked with or watched and learned a lot from. Uh, but are, are there any that really come to mind who had a particularly big influence on your leadership, Robbie? There have been, there've been several. Um, one that comes to mind is uh, early on, a gentleman named Wally Baran, uh, when I was very young, kind of began to take me under his wing a little bit and was instrumental in redirecting me early. Uh, stayed with me actually, still regularly meet with him he joined a board of a company that I was the CEO of. Um, but also I've had mentors who worked for me. And I, I think often as leaders, we miss those mentors too. Um, I've had uh, two or three folks who really stand out that worked for me. One is a, a young woman named Christy Kistner who uh, joined as a very young person. I think she was in her early twenties and grew in different roles working for me and with me uh, directly and indirectly to effectively becoming the COO of, the, of a company I ran. And now she's moved on to much bigger and better things and it's been really fun to watch. But she taught me an awful lot about how I interacted with the people who worked uh, at least on the reporting tree for me. And so that kind of reverse mentorship that I think we often neglect uh, is something that I've become a, a fairly significant fan of. Um, and then there've been substantial mentors in my personal life um, who occasionally cross over. Uh, there's a woman named Mary Mackey who has known me since I was, I don't know, 13 or 14, worked for me at different times, but also has been a, a guidepost, um, less so as a, sort of CEO model like Wally, but more so as a human being. Uh, one of the one of the better human beings that I know of in the world. And you know, those those things are important guideposts. I think you have to take uh, pieces from all of those folks and it's gotta be real for you. Are there any uh, thank you for sharing about those um those two women. I appreciate that. Are there any stories from either of them that come to mind that just epitomize um, the, the type of leadership, the type of people, like you said, that the latter, uh, was, was more about 
uh, as you as a human rather than you as a leader, but any stories of your interactions with them or how they handled things that really stand out as sort of aha moments watching them do life and, and leadership? There are several. I, I think with Mary, who um, for a brief time was working for me, we had the the point in time of this company. It was a company called Neuromatrix, which was one of the first telehealth companies in in the neurospace and in the U.S. And I was not yet fully aware that I did not know everything. Let's just put it that way. And she marched into my office and asked if she could sit down and talk to me and said, look, you're off the reservation. Um, but she didn't just say you're completely wrong. She said, I know you. I know you to be a bright, capable, empathic young man. I am telling you that what you are doing is creating conflict where you don't have to do that. You're coming off as disingenuous. You're coming off, and she began to list a bunch of things that were happening as a result of the way I was behaving. And then she finished it by saying, look, you're important in my life, and I've known you since you were young. Um, and this woman was the, the age of my mother and was one of my mother's best friends. And she said, but this can't continue the way that it is. If this is the way you want to go, I, I need to exit. I need to, to kind of be a mentor outside of the company. Mm. And that took a lot of courage. I was, I was her family's primary employer. I was mm. her primary source of income. Um, this was not at a time when she would have easily found replacement. And I think it took even more courage in the sense that this was, you know, she was telling some hard truths to a young kid at the time. I, I believe I was probably 23, maybe 24. Um, and I tell you, it stuck with me. It's It's been with me to this day. And when she and I, talk occasionally now we discuss it <laughs> it's it That's was a, it was a significant moment for me what was it in how she did that that made it possible for you both to work through that and and end up where you are now like how, how did she because that's such a strong courageous thing to step forward and say but she would have done so knowing that there was a chance she was going to step out and it wasn't going to all be um uh, amazing. Why do you think, or what caused it to go well, do you think? I think she was gifted at demonstrating what I would call safe space for conversation. She was instrumental in, in showing me that, I, you know, when you have a difficult conversation, not everybody has to like the conversation, but there are rules that guide that, and there's a path forward to agree, disagree, tell hard truths, but not be personally derisive or nasty. I recognize in America, we probably have a very bad reputation for that type of thing right now, but um, it, it showed a way for that to happen for me. And she was instrumental in maintaining this integrity of communication, of telling truths from a place of, frankly, the right word is probably love, not in a romantic way, but look, 
I have a, a love for what we're doing here, for the values and, and for the people involved. And we're astray. And you, there are things you are doing that are driving that. Mm-hmm. I would love to see you come out on the other side of that. But we need to seriously make some effort there. And and I think I always felt somehow that that's exactly what she meant. Um, yeah. I, it was not a calling me ugly or saying I was an idiot. It was, you're doing some idiotic things here. I'd like to give you some insight. And if if it doesn't work and we can't change this, then I can't stay. Which is an odd safe space type of conversation. Yeah. yeah, it is. Um, but uh, I love I love that it uh, went so well. And I mean, it would have been very uncomfortable, but it, it went well. And that's, um, that's an incredible story. Um, any other stories from either of those, um, uh, either of those women that you mentioned who have been sort of uh, mentors to you, you've learned a lot from them? Any other stories that come to mind? You know, the the, the one that comes to mind with Christy, um, the existing COO at the time that she was kind of growing up in the company ended up having some impropriety and, and issues and we had to let him go. And this man was, I, I would argue, my absolutely my best professional friend and was one of my better personal friends and the number two in the company and I had sort of implicitly trusted him. Wow. And it got to a point where the company was telling me, look, we're all going to quit. It's going to go bankrupt or he's got to go. And it was a powerfully painful thing for me to recognize that I had missed this, that it had gotten quite bad, that I had been on the record defending some of the behaviors that turned out to be really indefensible. And so when we finally had to let him go, uh, this young woman who was all of, I don't know, 28 at the time, maybe 29, had a fortitude and character of, okay, um, here's what people really need to hear from you right now. And I'm moving back to the headquarter city and I'll, I'll take over if that's what you want. And she stepped up, but she stepped up in a way that said, to your point, not about my ego and I want to do this. What helps? How can I jump in? Here's my thoughts on what the organization really needs from you right now. And in many ways, it was far, far above her maturity level. But she really stepped into it and showed me uh, some fairly incredible grace um, around how to move forward out of something like that. And so when I think back to all these stories, they all involve Mm. just missteps, um, what you might call failures. I I often tell people, you you really don't learn anything from first-time success. You just know that it happened well. You got lucky. You learn a lot from failure if you're willing to sit down or from mistakes. (laughs) You can call it what you want. If you're willing to do the postmortem, if you're willing to talk it out and you've got the people to say, ooh, that stung, let's talk yeah. about what maybe <laughs> happened there. <laughs> it's it's funny because in some ways, uh, failures are more valuable. Um, definitely from a growth perspective, it's it's. Um, I feel like there's this there's this idea that 
you know, I definitely think of some leaders that I've admired and, and something something in me has admired the fact that they seem to have just never lost a battle. Like they just always win, win. And, um, and I think, I think I'm starting to challenge that notion a bit because I'm realizing actually it's, you know, even if it looks like that from the outside, if they're as great as I think they are, there'll be so many mistakes and failures along the way that they've learned from to be able to actually become who they are. There's just no way to grow and develop into the sort of person who can lead people exceptionally well without making, uh, you know, mistakes and, fa- and and having failures along the way. And I just wish we could get more comfortable with that. And it, it's such a, um, I think it's that whole belonging and not wanting to be rejected and wanting to please people and, and, and that ego. And I think all of that's wrapped up in it, but if we could just crack that code and somehow walk into tomorrow, okay with the fact that if we do fail, if we do really fall on our face, we can pull it apart and arguably it'll be more valuable even than any successes we have. Um, but, but it's, it's such a hard thing to live out. It, it really is hard when you're the one going through that, when you're the one who's drop the ball boy it it does take a lot of fortitude to actually face it i completely agree i think it's i think it's incumbent upon leaders to empower that aspect of culture i think you have to create an environment that encourages experimentation and learning from mistakes obviously you don't want your evp of operations betting the company on a mistake but you want creative experimentation. I think it, it's incumbent in the same way that it is to empower diversity or ESG initiatives throughout corporations. It, it is in the same way incumbent upon the leadership of organizations mm. to empower that type of thinking, to model it, to show it, to demonstrate it. Do you have any advice on how to create a culture where failure is celebrated where people are okay with making mistakes um, and any thoughts on how to do that you know two things um i always talk about it and fortunately you can count on me to screw something up generally with with an alarming degree of regularity and so when I do, and it's usually small stuff, but occasionally it's even larger things, I talk about the screw up uh, with my team. Sometimes it's with the entire company and talk about what happened, um, you know, often comes wrapped with, I completely missed this and I owe everybody an apology. And here, here's what I learned from it. Here's what we've done to fix it and to make amends, to change, to alter course, to do whatever. It takes that. I think it takes everybody watching you, particularly in my chair, demonstrate a willingness to say, ooh, um, yeah, really wish I hadn't done that. Um, I screwed this one up royally, and I'm going to need to go and apologize to the board of directors we're going to need to fairly quickly i'm going to have to work through the weekend to get this corrected issues from community whatever is involved mm. that that goes a long way john um i agree a long way yeah 
Yeah, because that's where the rubber hits the road, right? It's all it's all well and good to say it's all good if you you know if you make mistakes, own it, apologize, and but then if you're the one when you drop the ball, the temptation is to make a deal of it when I when I you know when I kick the goals or when the project <laughs> I'm leading really wins, that's when I'm all you know I'm all about it. But when it doesn't go well, maybe we don't need to tell you know maybe we don't need to talk about that too much. But I, I love the fact that's that right. you're saying actually it's an opportunity to model the sort of culture you want. And I remember hearing someone say once that, you know, you can't create culture, you can only be culture. And this idea That's that right. like really culture starts with just modeling it. And if you just start there and model it and really live it out, that takes that takes care of so much of culture creation. I think that's 100% correct. Um, celebrate your wins, talk about your mistakes, learn from them but also celebrate the lessons that you learned. I mean, we, we talk about this at the senior executive team a lot. Um, you know, we, we certainly celebrate a win, a new acquisition or whatever it is that we're, we're proud of, but we also talk about what we learned from that really bad hire or the new initiative we tried that ended up costing us an extra million dollars this year that really we wish we hadn't done, you know, and here's why, and here's what we're never going to do again. And let's share that with the team. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good, Robbie. I love it. Um, well, as we sort of uh, start wrapping up, I, I want to ask you a handful of Leadership Express uh, questions and get your thoughts. Are you ready? Sure. I'm ready. So the, first, the first question is, what's a book, or there might be a couple of books that come to mind that you've gifted to other people at some point? So the, the three books that I, I give all of my executive team, one is by Brene Brown. She's a, a U.S.-based um, social worker who has written many books, um, Has actually has a very well-recognized podcast, too, um, globally, I think. And the book I give everybody is one called Daring Greatly. She's written several mm -hmm. that are more oriented towards the business world, but... For yeah. many executives, this is one of their first exposures to empathy, um, mm -hmm. shame, drivers, things like that. That's one. Yeah. Um, the Four Agreements, which is a book. It's a very short book. Yes. Um, and is an excellent book for personal accountability. And mm -hmm. the last one is a book called The Culture Code, which is a little bit out of date with its stories, but it's a powerful storyline on culture mm. and the things we were just talking about. Yeah, amazing. Great recommendations. I, I love all three. And Brene Brown uh, is amazing. I uh, Her podcast is well worth the listen. It's definitely popular over here as yes. well. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's, um, I'm pretty sure everything she does is popular pretty much everywhere. She's just amazing. And uh, yeah, her podcast is a, is, a, is a fantastic one where she interviews. Um, I'm trying to remember if it's leadership focused. Um, I think it's more, uh, life, life focused. She's just had such great leaders on there. I'm like, wait a second. Is it leadership focus? I think it's, <laughs> I think it's life focused, but leaders can learn. I just think I always recommend Brene Brown because you're right. Empathy, um, is like a leadership superpower. And, uh, and I, I think, uh, vulnerability and empathy, everything she talks about is crucial. So no, they're, they're great recommendations. Um, Next question, what's a recent leadership lesson you've learned for the first time or been reminded of? Um, the one that I'm constantly reminded of 
is while very young people in my organization might make me a little bit crazy, that I really need to pay attention to what they're talking about, what they're interacting with, and how they are working and leading because they, we forget this, the 20 year olds joining our organization, they are the future. And so if you wanna look at what your company or what the trend lines are going to be like in 10 to 20 years, go talk to your younger people. I forget this lesson all the time. I get frustrated by them all the time. <laughs> but, um, you know, acceptance and, and going and doing a little bit of reverse mentorship with them is a lesson that I just recently relearned. And yeah, uh, probably will learn it several more times in the next 10 years. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard a great, um, a great quote that I think applies in this sort of frame as well. And it's, it's, um, it's that today's heresy is tomorrow's orthodoxy. And I <laughs> <Yep>. think <laughs> so many young people, uh, you know, the 20 year old, they'll say something and it's like, oh man, that is so heretical. Like, come on, that's breaking all the leadership 101 or marketing or no, like that's not how the world works. And then, yeah, you get a few years down the track and you go, oh, okay. Yep. Yep. Okay. That's how everything is going now. And, um, and I think, yeah, being able to challenge the status quo, um, and, uh, listen well, and he, and, and for them to feel heard, I think if, if that demographic can feel heard in their, in an organization, that's a massive plus in being able to really train them up and potentially, um, for them to stay or come back at some point as well. So um, I agree. I love that, Robbie. Uh, okay. Do you have any favorite questions you ask? You're one-on-one -on -one with someone. You're in a team setting. You're in a in a workshop, uh, or you're with stakeholders. Are there any Are there any questions you like to ask? Um, with stakeholders, I tend to I tend to ask this question often, which is, and these are internal people to the company. How are you? And you know, they tend to say fine. And I tend to say, that's great. Now, I really, I want to know how you are. Like right now, I'm anxious. I'm standing in front of you. I spent some time preparing, but probably not enough. And give them some examples of how I actually am. When you get people to respond to that question beyond fine, if they're willing to open up, it gives you a couple points of information. Um, who they are, what they're willing to talk about, where their boundaries are. It also opens an avenue for you to begin sharing in a more, uh, to borrow Brene Brown, vulnerable way, but in a more meaningful way, um, particularly when it's in stakeholder meetings and things like that, because it is the unspoken personal agenda items and individual issues that generally drive dysfunction in companies. So, the most dangerous phrase it's it's mm. not personal it's business that is the most ridiculously untrue statement <laughs> that i have ever heard when it comes to a boardroom <laughs> or a meeting room it's all personal it's all personal so <laughs> that's that's one <laughs> yeah that's good i love that question that's that's wonderful uh are there any uh, oh, let, no, let me ask you this one. What's a great piece of advice you've received at some point? Could be leadership, could be just about life, where someone gave you a piece of advice that really stuck with you. <laughs> um, 
probably the most, the single most important piece of advice that anybody has ever given me is you have two ears and one mouth. Please try to use them in proportion accordingly. And I, I'm not always terribly successful at that. It's incredibly simple, but as is evidenced in our conversation here tonight, um, it's not uh, it's not as easy as you think. Okay, uh, so last question for you, Robbie. If you could only give one piece of leadership advice to a young leader, what would you say? It's funny. I just got asked this the other day, and what I said, I think I would echo. You can read all the leadership books, listen to all the podcasts. You can gather all the workshop material from anybody you want, and you should. But you have to take the parts that are relevant, that resonate for you. Because if it's not authentic to who you are, it doesn't work. You can't go be Tony Robbins or Brene Brown if those elemental pieces of leadership advice don't resonate with who you authentically are. So you end up having to really spend a little bit of time with all of these different schools, thoughts, inputs, and craft around who you are to make it yours. That's probably my single biggest piece of advice to young leaders is work on that inner mm. authenticity. Yeah, that's great. Uh, that's that's uh, wonderful advice. So for those who've just loved hearing your thoughts on leadership today, Robbie, where can people find you online and also find out more about 1GI? So uh, welcome to, um, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. You're welcome to find me on LinkedIn. If you look at uh, Robbie Allen and 1GI, um, I think it's Robbie Allen 7 is my LinkedIn. Um, I, I have to double check that. But I think that's the URL is Robbie Allen seven. Um, I'm pretty responsive. Uh, my people often email me through there. One uh, GI is one GI.com. Certainly welcome to look us up. And we we're a pretty open organization. I believe strongly in connecting people. In fact, it's one of my favorite phrases. It's sort of like the ending of Howard's end. Just connect. You want to connect people. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I love that. Uh, well, I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. This has been a really fun um, episode and, and great stories uh, just about reverse mentoring and just wonderful leadership principles today. I've really loved it. Um, don't forget for our listeners, I also have the John O'White Leadership Podcast and the Leadership Question of the Day podcast where you can go to continue to invest in your leadership. But I want to finish today by saying a massive thank you to you, Robbie, for being so generous with your time, uh, for sharing such great stories and leadership wisdom with us. I think um, I think it'll help a lot of people and a lot of listeners will be walking out of listening to today uh, feeling a bit more confident and uh, with some new perspective about leadership. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. That's excellent. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Love it. 
Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast as much as I did. If you're joining us for the first time, don't forget to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, including our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from all over the world in all different roles, in different industries, answer these seven questions on leadership and leaders give these in-depth answers around how they spend their time, uh, a book that's been significant for them. It's just a gold mine. It's completely free to access. So go to consultclarity.org and look for that. We'd also love to interview you about your leadership. I believe your experience, your life, your context means that you have advice on leadership that other leaders can learn from. Yes, you, if you're going, not me. Well, no, I really believe you would have something to add. So if you're looking for a way to give back, it's completely free to get involved. And we would love to interview you through the seven questions on leadership. You just go to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest or Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form and get involved. We have a free resource on our website called the Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook, 10 world-class leaders giving their thoughts on leadership, and that's completely free. It's available on our homepage, consultclarity.org, right at the top. So make sure you go and get that and download it today. And we have a free daily email that you can subscribe to. We send this out to over 15,000 leaders from around the world. And uh, it contains the highlights of content from our podcasts, our blogs, um, our books, books we're reading. It's got the best content and it gives you exclusive, limited, early access to our masterclasses, workshops, new products, special offers. It's all for our subscribers. You can go to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe and join 15,000 other leaders And you know, my gift to you is to work really hard, particularly through the Leadership Conversations podcast. I have been blown away by the quality of the leaders and I'm learning as much as anyone in doing these interviews. So I'm having a great time. And my gift to you is to keep lining up the best leaders I can to invest in your leadership. Your gift to me, if you're finding this helpful, there is something that you could do that would help us out massively. And that is to write a review and to leave a rating for our podcast or wherever you're watching or listening to this, I can't tell you how much that helps us out. Also subscribe or follow. It really does make a difference in helping us to help more leaders become everything they're meant to be. Another thing that means a lot to me personally is when I see our community share our content. So if you do share this or any other piece of content on social media, then thank you and and please do that. And look for me, John O'White, or clarity and tag us in your post. Our team is always looking for posts to engage with from our community. And there's also a chance that we'll share your content uh, to go beyond and share it with our followers. Last of all, you can check out my book. It's called Step Up or Step Out, How to Deal with Difficult People Even If You Hate Conflict. I wrote this book because 50% of the coaching sessions I have with leaders, this topic comes up again and again and again. And it's this idea of how do I have this difficult conversation? How do I lead this person better when I'm finding them difficult? Or in some cases you look and you say, I think I might be leading a difficult person. They're just quite difficult to lead or I'm finding them quite difficult to lead. So there's a three-step process 
that I unpack in Step Up or Step Out. And the amazing thing, and I've literally done this myself and I've heard it anecdotally from other leaders as I've coached them, is that if you follow this process, you will see that person step up and change their behavior or make a decision, which is to step out some of the time. Uh, 95% of the time, people will step up or step out in just four weeks. And I stand by that. It's uh, You have to read the book to understand, but uh, I really do believe in it and I've experienced it firsthand. It works. So you can go to Amazon, look up Step Up or Step Out John O. White or store.consultclarity.org forward slash book. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back with a new episode next time of the Leadership Conversations podcast. And I hope today has helped you to take another step towards becoming the leader you're meant to be. See you next time.